0: Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Well, I'm delighted to be in this good church again. Now most of you, or probably none of you, ever remember that I've been here before. And I can't blame you for that, because it's been over 20 years ago. I supplied the pulpit. I think y'all were between pastors at the time. I do know that Brother Ron Franks was still here, and it could be the time when you had Dr. Mahoney as an interim pastor, and uh, he'd asked me to fill in the pulpit for him, but just one time I've been here. Now, I remember most churches I've been in over the course of more than 60 years that I've been in the gospel ministry. I don't remember sometimes who the pastor was at the time. I preached, sometimes they were without a pastor, sometimes I served as interim pastor, sometimes I was an evangelist for revival and a Bible teacher for a January Bible study. But I do remember most of the churches that I've been in and I've always been grateful and privileged to be in one of the Lord's churches and so I'm glad to be here tonight. And uh, it's always a joy to be in a church where one of my students is the pastor. Now, I usually remind a church, however, that if you hear hear anything familiar, just remember, I was the teacher and David was the student. And so, but uh, I feel greatly honored when one of my students do uh, use a little bit of stuff they might find in a class during that time of their study. Well, you've been observing what some people call Holy Week and uh, uh, going through the steps of Jesus through the last week of his life, beginning last Sunday, the Lord's Day, on what is known as Palm Sunday. Now, Sunday morning in our church at First Baptist Church of West Memphis, we had the children marching up and down the aisle waving palm leaves, or what looked like palm leaves, whether they really were palm leaves or not, I don't know, And I'm not sure everybody in the church building understood what was going on, but that was observing or commemorating the first Sunday or the Sunday before the uh, resurrection, which is known as Palm Sunday. That was the day of triumph where Jesus marched in to the city of Jerusalem triumphantly on a donkey and they waved palm leaves before him. And so that's called Palm Sunday. Now today, Friday, is the day of suffering and death. That is according to the traditional understanding of the last week of Jesus' life. Now, though I don't really emphasize it, nor do I teach it when I teach the life of our Lord Jesus Christ from the Gospels, I usually follow the traditional Holy Week that we call and looking at each day of the last week of Jesus' life. And I come to Friday and I call this the day of suffering and death. Though I'm not all that sure that Jesus actually died on a Friday. Uh, It's hard for me to get in three days and three nights that our Lord was in the tomb and see him dying on a Friday. But we're gonna consider that and uh, I'm gonna be speaking to you today, this evening, about the death of our Lord. Now, I don't know of anything more momentous in the history of human humanity than the death of Christ. Many folks look upon it as a tragedy. And usually whenever we think about the death of Christ, we think about it as a sad day. But you know what, folks? In the Bible, as it looks at the death of Christ, the death of Christ is not a tragedy. It's not a time of sorrow. It's a time of great joy and triumph because in the death of Christ, he triumphed over Satan and sin, and became a sacrifice for us. And there are many things I could say about the death of Christ, but there's a little text in the scriptures that I want to emphasize to try to bring forth something about the death of Christ. It's found in Luke's account of the gospel in chapter 23 and verse 33. And so I read these words. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary... There, they crucified him. And the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Now note these words. There, they crucified him. Really, I just want to emphasize three of those four words. They crucified him. And I want you to note three things about the death of Christ from those three words. First, they're the crucifiers. Now note, they, they crucified him. Now who are the they that the text refers to here? Well, of course, they have in mind the Jews. The Jews were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. In fact, in the verses above in chapter 23 of the Gospel of Luke, you find three classifications of the Jews that were involved in the death of Christ in verse, thir- in verse 13. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priest, now these were the Jewish priests and the rulers. These were the elders of the synagogues throughout the city of Jerusalem and the people. Three classes of Jewish people that were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. The religious leaders, the political leaders, and then the common people were there. And Pilate said to them, you have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him Before you and have found no fault in him. In this man touching those things whereof you accuse him. No, nor yet Herod. For I sent you to him. And lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity he must release one unto them at that time at the feast. And they cried out all at once saying... Now note the priest, the rulers, and the people. they, They all cried out at once saying, away with this man and release unto us Barabbas who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder and was cast into prison. Pilate therefore willing to release Jesus spake again to them but they cried saying, crucify him, crucify him. Oh, my friends, the Jewish of that day, the Jews of that day cannot be exonerated in their part in the crucifixion of our Lord. Now, that is true in history, shamefully. And unfortunately, the Jews have been branded as Christ killers and therefore has received a lot of persecution from so-called Christians and all and, and the history of Christianity. But uh, as much as I regret that, Still, the Jews were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus, but someone else was involved. The Romans were involved, the Gentiles were involved. Pilate gave the decree and gave the permission to take Jesus and to crucify him. And he turned him over to the Roman soldiers and the Roman soldiers took our Lord and nailed him to the cross. The Romans were involved. The Gentiles were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. We're talking about the crucifiers here tonight. The Jews were there and the Romans were there. The Gentiles were there. But let me go a little bit deeper. We were there in the crucifixion of Jesus. Sinners in general were represented there. Now, when we read about the crucifixion of Jesus... And we see pageants about the crucifixion of Jesus. And films have been made about the crucifixion of Jesus. And we watch those and we feel great sympathy in our hearts. And we wonder how in the world could anybody treat somebody like that? But I want you to know, my dear friends, if we had been there in that day and joined that mob that said, crucify him, crucify him, our voices would echo the same charge. Crucify him, crucify him. We were there when our Lord was crucified and we were represented there. That old spiritual, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Yes, I was there. And yes, you were there. And you were represented in that crowd. We crucified the Lord but there's something else to be said about the crucifiers that's hard to accept and it sounds almost like blasphemy to say it. There was someone else involved in the crucifiers and that was God himself. It was God the Father who put him on the cross. Let me read you some scripture now. uh, We had the scripture from Isaiah chapter 53 and I'll quote one verse in that great prophecy. Uh, in Isaiah 53, 10, listen to this. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased Jehovah God to bruise him. That seemed, that's quite plain, that's quite explicit that the hand of Jehovah God was involved in the crucifixion of Jesus, his only begotten son. Now listen to these other words to show you the hand of God himself was in the crucifixion of Jesus. In Acts chapter two and verse 22, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost made these words, gave this, us these words. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you. As you yourselves know, him being delivered, now listen to this, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. See, there's God's part. The determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. And then he does speak about the human environment you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. But I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, no hand, however powerful and strong and mighty it is, could have ever crucified Jesus had it not been for the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God who'd wield it and determined it. God the Father was involved In the crucifixion of Jesus, I read some other scriptures. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 27 and 28, another sermon by Peter. For of truth, now this is the prayer of the church, uh, and they prayed after being persecuted, and a part of that prayer are these words. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, Now, again, there's a reference to the Gentile involvement and the people of Israel. There's the Jewish involvement. We're gathered together to do, now listen to these words, to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Oh, my friends, You will not ever understand the death of Jesus and what it accomplished for us if you do not see the hand of God himself in the crucifixion of Jesus. In the epistle of the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, note these words. For he, that is God, hath made him to be sin for us or a sin offering for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And in Hebrews chapter 10, a number of verses, I will not take the time to read all of those tonight, but if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 10 and read verses 4 through 10, you find the statement, according to your will, I have come to do thy will and to be an offering and a suffering for sin in the book of Hebrews. Oh yes, God the Father was involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. They crucified Him. And then in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, we find these words, the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. That is according to the plan and purpose and the will of God the Father. Oh yes, the hand of the sovereign God was upon His Son Jesus in dying on that Friday many years ago. The crucifiers, the Jews, the Gentiles, we ourselves. But yet the hand that was there that's the most significant was none other than God, the Father himself. And when you find Jesus making this cry from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There he sensed the fact that God the Father had sent him to the cross and then turned his back upon him. Why? because he was suffering for us sinners. So they're the crucifiers, they crucified him. Now I want you to note the crucifixion. They crucified him, the manner of his death. Why crucifixion? Why was this in the plan of God for Jesus to die like that? I think there's some characteristics of that banner of death that made it appropriate, not only appropriate, but necessary as far as the way in which Jesus died. For example, crucifixion was a public death. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of all the cruciating pain, the long, slow agony that Jesus suffered on the cross. You can Read about that. You can go see the passion play or whatever and get all the physical aspects of the sufferings of our Lord in the manner of crucifixion. I wanna call attention to some characteristics of it that made this almost a necessary way in which Jesus was put to death because crucifixion, for example, was a public death. You see, it was not it would not have been appropriate. It would not not have been at all right for Jesus to have been, for example, assassinated in some dark alley somewhere because Jesus' death had to be a public death. People could observe it. For example, the death of Jesus is typified in the Passover when God delivered the Hebrew children from Egyptian slavery and brought them into the promised land Established the, the manner by which they were to be delivered from slavery, and that was the death of the firstborn, sending that death angel as the last of the ten plagues that he brought upon Egypt in order to release the Hebrew children from Egyptian slavery and bondage. And he gave a, he gave a, 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 a symbolic supper that they were to observe or feast, that they were to observe ever after this to commemorate that time of deliverance. And the manner of deliverance was the slaying of a lamb. And they were to put that lamb up for 14 days. And then he said, you take the whole assembly, take the lamb for the whole assembly and put the lamb slain before the whole assembly that they might see it. You see, the death of Jesus... Was a public death. In fact, um, in one of the defenses that the Apostle Paul made of his uh, ministry, uh, you find Paul's testimony three times in the book of Acts. You find when it happened, and then twice he gave testimony about his conversion and the defense of his ministry and his missionary activity. And in one of those defenses, the last of them, found in the book of Acts. I read these words, and I want you to listen carefully. Having therefore, he said, obtained help of God, and now he's defending himself before Agrippa and 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 later on before Festus, but before Agrippa, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none other things than that which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself Festus, now that was known to one of the Roman officials with Grippa, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning doth make you mad. But he said, I'm not mad. Most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth these things, before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. You see, it was necessary to have a public display forever for us to be reminded that the death of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus is not fable. It is not myth. It is a historical event and people saw it and gave testimony to the fact that Jesus was crucified. Yes, it was a public death. But the crucifixion was also a sinner's death. It was reserved for those gross criminals in fact, even in the Roman system of justice, they reserved crucifixion for the worst offenders. And those two malefactors, one on each side of Jesus that were crucified along with Christ indicates the crimes that they were involved in. They were involved in sedition and murder and tyranny and terrorism. And they, were died, they died, as one said, justly. And there Jesus was in the middle of them and he's identifying himself as a sinner. It was a sinner's death. And Jesus died as a sinner, though he had no sin of his own. Let me just, in a sidebar, give you a wonderful truth. You know what, folks? If you are saved, I'm not talking to saved folks tonight. If you are saved... You're justified. Now that simply means this, that you are now declared to be righteous in God's sight. Do you know that? Not that you are righteous, but you are treated. And nobody, by by the way, nobody's gonna get to heaven without righteousness. And that presents a problem. There's none righteous. No, not one. Now, how are we going to get to heaven then? If God requires righteousness and none of us are righteous, how are we going to get to heaven? God's going to give you righteousness. That's justification. And God now treats you as righteous. But the basis on which God treats you as righteous is the fact he treated Jesus as a sinner. He who knew no sin became a sin offering. He was treated. When you find and read of Jesus dying on the cross, he's dying as a sinner, but he had no sin. But God treated him as a sinner. Crucifixion was a sinner's death. And thirdly, crucifixion involved the shedding of blood. Now there are those who question the amount of blood that would be shed in the crucifixion, but I'm telling you when those hands were pierced with nails and those feet were pierced with nails, it involved the dripping of blood. And it was necessary for Jesus to shed his blood in order for sins to be forgiven. Oh, the Bible is so clear on that. In the book of Hebrews, which is a great New Testament book that indicates the fulfillment of Jesus' crucifixion with uh, all of the types in the Old Testament. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter nine, verse 22, we find these well-quoted words. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, There is no remission of sins. And and then you find this statement. Oh, how much blood was shed in the Old Testament sacrificial systems. You read read some of those uh, great events. uh, The dedication, for example, of the temple. How many hundreds of animals were slain and must, the blood must have flowed like a river because of the many, many animals that were slain. But here's the statement. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. The only blood that satisfies uh, the forgiveness of sin is the blood of the slain lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the son of God. And crucifixion involves the shedding of blood. The crucifixion, the manner of his death. And now, the third word there they crucified him. Let me call attention to the crucified. The crucifiers, the crucifixion itself, and now the crucified. They crucified him. Oh, who is the hymn? Well, you find an inscription, the king of the Jews. We know that he was the king of the Jews. But not only was he the king of the Jews, he was the king of kings and lord of lords. But not only that, we have this inscription, one of the Roman soldiers recognized this. Surely, this must be the son of God. But let me make some statements about that person the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God, the Christ. He was someone, that person who was crucified, was someone who did not deserve to be there. Oh, we've already made that statement. Pilate himself came to that conclusion. I find no cause of death in him. Other versions, I find no fault in him in John's gospel. One of the thieves, one of the two thieves that died alongside him, this man, he says, hath done nothing amiss. And then we find the statement, he who knew no sin became sin for us. This one who's been crucified, he doesn't deserve to be there. But uh, secondly, I'd say as someone who didn't have to be there, You think uh, that it was inevitable for Jesus to die? Years ago, when I joined the seminary faculty, I preached on the death of Christ in chapel. And I made the statement I really thought was true. I said, Jesus had to die. The necessity, I might have used the word, the absolute necessity of the death of Christ. And one of the original faculty members, the dean of the faculty, Dr. Roy Beeman, he was not above uh, correcting some of us younger fellows. He came up to me and he said, Jimmy, that's not right. And I thought, my soul, what have I gotten myself into? Joining a faculty that uh, says it's not necessary for Jesus to die? He said it not, was not absolutely necessary. Jesus didn't have to die. He only had to die if sinners are to be saved. Now, I'd been teaching the Bible for a number of years before I joined the Mid-America faculty. And for some reason, I never caught that. There's nothing that obligated Jesus to die. God could have said to us sinners, I'm not gonna save anybody. Nobody deserves to be saved. And Jesus did not have to die absolutely. Only the moral necessity of Jesus. That is if sinners are to be saved, then Jesus had to die. So that brings me to the second, to the third statement about the one who's been crucified. He was someone, now first, hear me out, someone who did not have to be there, but is someone who did have to be there if sinners are to be saved. You know, there was a statement made by some who observed the cross, mocking Jesus, and they made this statement. He saved others, but himself he cannot save. If you're the Christ, come down from the cross and save yourself. You saved others, but you can't save yourself. You know, I had me a sermon on that one, one time and I said, Do you know they were wrong? Jesus could have saved himself. But they were right. If he's to save others, he could not save himself. And so he was someone who did not have to be there but he was someone who had to be there in order for redemption's plan to be accomplished. And then I say finally he was someone who chose to be there. Jesus prayed in the garden and you're well familiar with that well-known prayer. Father, Father, If it be any other way, take this cup from me. One might think that Jesus is regretting and withdrawing from the thought of physical pain. No. Jesus understood deeply that his death to fulfill redemption was going to be separated from God the Father and to be experiencing the awesome wrath of God. That cup that cup was filled with the wrath of God. And he prayed, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. And I want you to know, my friends, if there's any other way for an omniscient, omniscient omnipotent God to provide salvation for sinners, that prayer would have been answered in the affirmative. But the fact that he was not answered And Jesus committed himself, but not my will, but thine be done. If there was any other way for sinners to get to heaven without the death of Jesus, Jesus would not have been crucified. And one of the greatest biblical evidences of only one way to be saved is through the death of Christ. It's that prayer of Jesus If there be any other way, take this cup from me. And so Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. He submitted himself voluntarily, completely to the will of God. The one who's dying on the cross, they crucified him, was someone who chose to be there. Listen to these words of our Lord In John's gospel, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and thank God he says I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. It was a voluntary death that Jesus died. They Crucified him, the crucifiers, the crucifixion, and the crucified. And so I asked ourselves this question tonight: Upon what are you relying to get to heaven? Have you been declared righteous? in the sight of God. The only way that you and I can be looked upon as righteous is to accept the fact that Jesus became sin for us and the Savior was looked upon and treated as a sinner for you and me. Oh, that's the part of the glorious gospel. According to the scriptures, Christ died Why? Because he got in political trouble because of a social agenda that he had because of being a martyr for a lost cause. No, Christ died for our sins. And on that basis, God looks upon you and me who believe in him as righteous because he looked upon his son as a sinner in that day. And Jesus voluntarily took that role. Upon what are you trusting? I think we have a hymn. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. On what are you trusting tonight? This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can, as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.